0: Tonight, we should also be praying for the weather. It, it, right now, the the spring and winter is reminding me of a boxing match. Right now, it's like the winter gets spring against the corner, and then like this afternoon, you know, spring got like a left hook in or something like that. This afternoon, and so just pray winter ends permanently for the next 32 years would be good. I'd be I'd be good with that. Alright, Romans chapter 1, look at a couple of verses here, verse 13, down through the very first portion of 16, and then I'll, I'll get more into 16 and 17 next week. Romans chapter 1, verse number 13, now I would not have you, now I would not have you ignorant brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but, but was let hitherto. That I might have some fruit among you, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let's stop right there. Father in heaven... Lord, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our church. We pray for your protection and your blessing upon it. Lord, I ask you to bless this time. I pray, one, that you be glorified and honored. Lord, help me to stay true to your word. I pray you control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I pray it would truly help us to grow. Lord, that it would draw us closer to you, that it would meet needs that are here. So, Lord, please bless now and work. We know this is in vain unless your spirit works in our heart and our life. And so, Lord, I pray for that and I ask you to do that, Lord. We love you. And I do pray if there's anyone here who's never been converted. Lord, I certainly pray for their conversion this evening. We pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Um,
0: in the secular world, even before ministry, I'd worked several different jobs. High school. been working since I've been 16 nonstop. Uh, with, uh, never break in between employment since I've been 16 years old. And uh, out of high school, shortly after, before the Air Force, even had a decent job at a steel factory up until... Up until the day I left for the Air Force, remember that was immediate, I didn't quite realize, I thought I was heading off to college, but ended up in the Air Force, so re- literally worked for, even through that Friday and left that Monday, I was working midnights there at that still uh, factory, and then of course the Air Force for the next nine years, uh, went into Continental there, sold for a few months, then went into management, uh, that all the way up until left for New Guinea, Debutation, New Guinea, and then back here, and there's something I noticed in each of those positions, I got to work with different people, whether it was at the steel factory or even in high school, working at Big Lots or in the Air Force. Um, there was different levels of, I don't know what the word to use is, uh, I'll start off with the word dedication. Different levels of approach to how people viewed their employment. All right? And how the people viewed it, how they approached it, certainly affected how they worked. All right. You had some that were there just for a paycheck. That was clear as a bell. They were there just for a paycheck. You had others, I think, one of my, that my very first uh, supervisor, when I got to my first assignment at Holloman Air Force Base, I had a good one. And uh, he was an E-5 at the time. I was an E-1 at the time. And I remember thinking, when he's an E5, this guy will be an E9, and he certainly was. Not, not too long after that, it wasn't about a paycheck to them. I mean, his view, his approach to his job in the Air Force was something that I could learn from. And again, that affected your promotions, that affected your position, it affected how you, uh, again, how you approached work. Those that were willing to go the extra mile, those that weren't. Those who were just looking for problems anywhere. You had those that just complained. You had those that were just looking for to try and find something wrong. Um, they won't go anywhere. It just won't happen. All had to do with how, in their mind, how they approached that employment. I've given the illustration for different purposes, but really does fit here with this one right now. Do you remember the illustration I've given of the bricklayers? You have the three different men all building a wall, laying the bricks. All right, so they're all, building, they're all building that wall. And you ask the first one, what are you doing? And he says, I'm laying bricks. Is he right? Yes. You ask the second one what he's doing. He says, I'm building a wall. And then you ask the third bricklayer what he's doing. They're all working the exact same time. said, what are you doing? He said, we're building a church. Which one will last? The one who had the right approach. All right. So what we're getting at today is we see Paul's approach. He gives three I.M.s in the text, if you noticed. Three different I.M.s that he gives, all were concerning how he approached the gospel. I think that's very important. Very important how you view it. Really, this is true in all areas of life. I've mentioned it before, sometimes in counseling, sometimes from behind the pulpit. It's, it's important, even when you're trying to make a major change in your life, maybe to remove a habit, maybe to deal with a difficult circumstance. But how you, how you identify yourself, how you approach that situation is critical because it affects how you will work. It affects how you will respond. It will affect the effort you will put into it. Paul's effort towards the gospel was going to see was unmatched. Want to know why? Because of how he approached the gospel. So again, the question to you this evening is, how do you approach the gospel? For some of you that have been raised in church, it's a term you've heard since you were in the womb. I mentioned this several weeks ago. Sometimes it can lose... Meaning in your life, you hear it over and over. I mean, like I said, I honestly believe when I started studying this and diving into this in chapter, I never thought about it. So I was getting right into right into chapter one, just how just how flippant and 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 casual we use the word gospel, and it loses how important and how precious it is. How do you see yourself? In regards to the gospel. My, my guess is that the majority of us here have never really thought about it in that way. Now, remember last time, which was two weeks ago because of the revival. Paul, I believe Paul laid out some, we saw some key things in Paul's life that led to him being very successful where Paul had those, I, I, I just termed it for the sake of the message, he had right tools, if you will. He had a passion for God, purpose in his service. He was submissive, placated, I said. He, he truly sought to produce growth in others. And he was humble. He had that servant attitude. All these things were key. Now what we're seeing Paul do, as he's, really what we're getting to here is the conclusion of his introduction and getting into, in verse 16, the meat of this, of the entire epistle. But as he's coming to a conclusion with it, we see clearly how Paul viewed himself in relation to the gospel. If you want to write it down right, real quick, I'm going to give you four things we see here in this text. We're going to see results, responsibility, ready, and resilient. He expected results. He saw it as a responsibility. He was ready, and he certainly was resilient. So let's dive into this here this evening. Verse number 13. Now I would not have you... Now, I <laughs> why I cannot say that first sentence. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but I was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you, even as among other Gentiles. Paul uses a phrase here. I would not have you ignorant, brethren. He's letting them know, you need this. I want you to think about this. That phrase probably rings a bell in Paul's writings. It should. He uses it several times, always in key places. He used it in Romans chapter 11. We're going to see it again in relation to the very doctrine of salvation, the position of us as new believers, as Gentiles and Israel. Something not to be ignorant of. He used it also, of course, in uh, uh, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in a warning not to turn back from God. You might be thinking you're doing all right now. You might have made some steps, but don't you turn back because of your own lust. He used it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when dealing with great trials and sufferings and persecutions that he was facing, and yet how God helped him. Why you know? Don't be ignorant of God's help when you're facing those difficult uh, situations. We saw one when we went through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Not to be ignorant about the doctrine of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He mentions it again First 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Not to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And here he uses it. This is something we need what he's getting ready to say. Paul wanted to see results. He said that I might have some fruit among you even as among other Gentiles. So when it came to the gospel, the first thing we learn about his approach, he wanted results, he wanted to see fruit. Now in scripture, we see three different ways the word fruit is used. I'm going to put it the way that uh, um, I can't even think of the one commentary I used he did. I had it written down differently and then I read how he put it in little A's and I said I'm going to use his. His is better than mine. He called it attitude fruit, action fruit, and addition fruit. I just named them out what they said. <laughs> and mine. I mean, that's a whole lot better than mine. Attitude fruit, of course, is Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance. That's a true fruit that's produced in your life by God's Holy Spirit. It's His fruit produced, and that does deal with your attitude. The other kind of fruit that is mentioned is found in places like Romans chapter 6 and verse 22, dealing with that of holiness, action, that produces a measure of, of righteousness about you, in your actions, not just in your attitude with what you do. You see that in Romans 6, Philippians 4, Hebrews 13. And then lastly, the way it's used least, is, such as in Romans chapter 16, as far as new converts, a conversion, if you will. I think Paul here is sort of combining all of those and what he desired to see come about in the life of those at the, at, at the church at Rome. And I think he also wanted to see people, of course, come to know Christ as Savior. He truly desired fruit. He wanted to see results. Understand this. The ministry itself, if you're a Sunday school teacher, or the pastor of the church, whatever you're involved in, ministry is not an end of itself. It's a means to an end. The purpose of preaching is not preaching. It's not. The purpose of preaching is to produce fruit. The purpose of preaching is to get your mind on divine truth. To begin to touch your heart and your life. To see action come about. To see fruit produced. It's not just something to go through three times a week. Even Christ said in John fifteen sixteen that he wanted us to bring forth fruit. To have results in our life, not just to go through motions. And the truth is, someone who is genuinely serving God, genuinely with the right motive, but which we already established that with Paul two or three weeks ago, will want to see a measure of results, of fruit. You see, some people, if the heart of they can have other things that motivate them besides seeing results, whether that's money, whether that's prestige, pride, whatever's feeding it. But this is Paul desiring to see God genuinely do something. He desired that. I remember in PNG, the the, the greatest time that i struggled during the 12 years in New Guinea would have been 2009. Did you go back in 2009? Do you remember the year? 2010 was when you went back? It was when Daniel went back. 2010. And I've mentioned it before, Daniel headed back. Um, I, literally, after, after I get back down from dropping him off, from leaving the house, and, and he had worked right with me during the time. Levi at the time was, was five years old or whatever it was. That was it, four, four or five years old. That's all he was. He wouldn't help. Thanks. But our yard was this monster hill. If anything, I needed him here just to cut the grass. In a hundred degree heat. But no, he helped out in all aspects of the ministry, and he was gone. I was miserable with that. I mean, the day he left the first and the oldest is out of the house, I'm like, everything's changing. Then I get back there. The guy that I'm training to be pastor, sin is involved. He's now disqualified himself. I had another family wanting to... I mean, it was just... And, and it was just like dead. Like, zap the life out. And I... When I preached, I wanted to see fruit. It was, I mean, my motivation was dry because there wasn't there was not nothing happening. Just like that time I told you, that's a true story. When I'm sitting there, I have one person sleeping with his mouth open, you know, two ladies looking at one of my uh, Levi's little books between them. I'm like, I can't notice. I can notice when you're on your phone, too, just so you know. <laughs> you think you can hide it when it's there down by your legs and you're, it's easy to see. And so the only people who listened was my family, and I slammed my Bible. And I said, if you don't want it, I'm not giving it. And I got my car and I left. I probably wasn't through my first point yet. They were all up and listening right there. Everybody was up at that point in time. But you desire to see results. Whether that's in preaching, whether that's in counseling, when you're ministering, you want to see it do something. It's not just going through the motions to go through it. <clears throat> you want to see it working. You want to see prayers answered. And then we get into the I am's that Paul gave. Verse number 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. The R I put with this is, when it, Paul's approach to the gospel, which led to his fervency, which led to, I, I mean, just unmatched. He wanted to see results, and he looked at it as such a responsibility, he referred to himself as a debtor. He said, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians. Now, let's define those real quick. And he also says the wise and the unwise, before we get into this one. The Greeks, of course, by... Purest, narrowest definition, meant those who dwelt in Greece, but it became a term meaning much, much more than that. Referring to the polished, the educated, the refined, the elite, as opposed to the barbarians. The Greeks were considered the wise and educated, the barbarians were not. Little did I know until studying for this week where the word barbarian even came from. It was from the Greeks. Because anybody who, anybody who did not speak Greek, initially, again, this in the simplest definition of the word, they were called a barbarian if they did not speak Greek. It didn't have to do with education necessarily at that time or anything like that. If you did not speak Greek, they called you a barbarian because they would almost mock other languages when they were dominating the known world at that time. And so to them, they started... ...coining a a term when they heard people speaking another language. And they would repeat the phrase over and over and over... ...bar, bar, 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 bar. That turned into barbarian. Which just simply meant when it initially existed... ...someone who spoke another language besides Greek. But then, of course, it took on a much broader meaning... ...which is what Paul is referring to here. The uneducated, the outcast of society... Those that were not considered wise, the uncultured. It was also used to describe the entire non Greek world. We have that in literature where it's used in that sense. Paul, by using the Greeks and barbarians and wise and unwise, he's using parallel terms just to stress the importance here. Paul's point is simply this. God is no respecter of persons. The gospel must reach all men. You don't go after just certain groups. The gospel is for all men. One of the very first people that Christ ever revealed himself to was a half bred harlot from, Samarita, from uh, in Samarita who had a handful of husbands, was living with a man who wasn't her husband. She was a Samaritan. <clears throat> but he also preached to Nicodemus, who would have been very wealthy, very educated. What Paul saw, of course, was the value in every single soul He would preach with as much passion to a runaway slave, Onesimus, as he would to King Agrippa. It was the soul that mattered. And he understood, with God there is no respecter of persons. So Paul, when he came to himself and how he approached the gospel, he saw himself as a debtor. He had a great responsibility. A debt is something you owe. A debt is something you must pay. He saw himself as having a debt to all men when it came to the gospel. Look in 2 Kings chapter 7. woman of Samaria. I'm going to regret that because my, my son-in-law, Jordan, who he might be watching us now, he's been sending clips because he's going through different series that I've done. He just recently sent one. I went through the book of Revelation where I was stuttering over and over and over on a word. I really appreciate him listening so diligently to the messages to gain spiritual truth. I am part of the uneducated and the unwise, <laughs> to prove that God can use anybody, if you're willing. Anyhow, where are we at? 2 Kings, chapter 7. You might be familiar with this passage, but it fits perfectly with what we see here. This is the lepers. Um, the lepers, of course, the, the siege against Samaria uh, was taking place right here. The Syrians were laying siege to it. and. Anyhow, let, let's read what takes place here in verse 3. And there were four lepers, men at the entering end of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If, if we say we will enter in the city, then the famine is in the city. Because of the siege, there's a famine there, people are dying. We shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up. In the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians, and when they were come into the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of great hosts, and they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the king of of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses and even the camp as it was and fled for their life. When the lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp and went into one tent, they did eat and drink and carried themselves silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again, entered into another tent and carried it also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we, if we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, that we may go and tell the king's household. And then, as it goes on for there, they let them know what they have found. The Syrians are gone. They left. The northern siege that was taking place against the northern kingdom, it's over with. It's not present anymore. And they had that truth, and they all of a sudden, they realized how important it was. To the point where they realize, wait, we have a debt to the others. They're dying. This is going to help. Do you understand what you have with the gospel? The treasure that you have that is there. How you approach it is so important. How you approach it is going to determine how you present it. If you would see yourself as a debtor, that you have this enormous treasure. That the world who is dying needs. You say, well, this world doesn't want to hear it. Paul is talking about going to Rome. I mean, we're going to get to this when he talks about how he's unashamed. But how accepted how do you think in his mind he could have convinced himself they don't want to hear it? I mean, how did the, how did the Romans view uh, um, the Israelites, the Jew? And he's going to go tell the Romans that their Savior is a Jewish man? Oh, yeah, they're going to love that. But the power of the gospel was in it. Think what you have. Think of how precious it is that we have the gospel. The message that the world needs to hear. You have it. Until you start seeing yourself as that debtor, I mean, think of the opportunities that pass by you every day. You don't even see them. You don't see yourself as a debtor when it comes to the gospel. You don't realize the treasure you have. You have a debt. But Paul mixes the fact of a debt with something that makes it so effective. Look at verse 15. The next I am. So much is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Not only did he see it as a responsibility, but he was ready. Now, the word used for ready here is important. There's two different Greek words that are translated ready in the New Testament. One means prepared. We see this word used in Acts chapter 21 and verse 13, which says, basically he's talking about he was ready to die in Jerusalem. He was prepared to die. That's not the word that's used here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 15. This word has the definition of eager with a ready mind. Paul was not eager to die. But he was prepared to die. Paul is saying here, I am eager. I want this. I want to preach the gospel. I want to do this. He was eager because he understood how much the people needed this. Whether it was Greek or barbarian, whether it was wise or unwise. He had an eagerness about him. He was not deterred by any fear. Even though this man faced incredible difficulty, he still had an eagerness. As as long as God was giving him opportunity, he was ready to make known the gospel. Just like he did at Antioch, Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, on and on and on. See, when you're approaching, how eager are we actually to, to give the gospel out? Paul mixed, Responsibility with desire. That approach is powerful. Do you look for the opportunities? You see, when you're eager for something, you look to get involved. When you're eager for something, you can't wait for the opportunity. You're not going to miss it when you're eager. But if it's just pure responsibility and duty, Oh, you'll miss plenty. If it's a chore, you're not about to take advantage of opportunities. You just might meet your requirement, what you convinced yourself that you can get by with when there's no eagerness. Well, when I leave a restaurant, I leave a track. Well, amen. I'm glad. Is there an eagerness? Do you understand what you possess in the gospel? Does your wife have to get on you about coming to church? Does someone else have to motivate you about service? Try and get your mind off of self and on what it's actually all about. And I, I've referred to this before. I remember I the the... Remember, when I first got saved, that pastor left for several years. I mean, we had a new pastor come in at the end of my freshman year. So again, let's go back to that first pastor who led me to Lord John Norris. And I never, had a, I never remember him one time saying he had to do it, but all of a sudden I had an eagerness. I didn't know how to tell others. But they had like a little track rack. It was very small, just a little one like that. And I remember grabbing them, thinking it would tell them however they needed to know. And of course... I wasn't to the last point we're going to get to where Paul was unashamed. I wasn't there yet. But I had eagerness. So I waited until everybody had to leave the class. They were all gone. I stayed behind. And then quickly took those tracks, ding, 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 and put them in all the folders <laughs> as quickly as I could. And the teacher came in. The music teacher came in and caught me. Little did I, I know now she was a Christian. So anyhow, but the eagerness affects how you present it. It does. When you do it just as duty and responsibility, you know, it's, it's clear. It's clear. You're just going through motions. You don't even see the value and the treasure that you have. But when you have an eagerness to do it, people can tell. They can see you're trying to present it with passion as if they need this. I think of the clip of that, of that well-known atheist uh, several years ago, about 8, nine, ten years ago. He's one of those two magicians. Um, this clip went viral of him just talking. It was just him doing like an after show recap. And he talked how a Christian man came up to him. I can't think of his name right now, but he's, if I said it, most people would know it. He's very popular in the secular world as far as a magician goes. And he said, There's this guy that came up to me. I think it was a, a New Testament and started to try and talk, talk to me about it. and Because and, he's an atheist, he's a outspoken atheist. And, and what he mentions, as you, go, as you listen to him talk, what he said was this, that guy really believed what he was saying. It had an impact on him. And then he made a great point. He, said, he knows he's an atheist. He said, he said, but I don't mind that guy coming to me and talking to me. I know people get mad about that, but my goodness, if this guy actually believes I'm going to hell, how cruel would he be not to come and tell me? And even though he said that not believing the guy, hey, but those words out of his mouth, little does that man realize are true. He is going to hell. That is a reality. Paul mixed two key things in his approach to the gospel. Responsibility, a debt, and yet eagerness. That's loving your work. That's what that is. Again, that will affect how you approach it. Next, as we come into the last point here, we see he was resilient. The third I am. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We'll stop there. I just want to look at that portion of this verse. He was resilient. He was not ashamed. He was bold. He was determined to give the gospel regardless. We see that pattern throughout his life. Again, think of what I've already mentioned of when he's going to tell the Romans about a Jewish man from Israel is the Savior. They looked at them as second class, as slaves. And he's going to tell a Roman, oh, by the way, this man you view as a slave is actually your Savior, the Son of God. But he was unashamed. Paul, this was Paul's pattern throughout. You mix these things together, this approach to the gospel, you become very effective. He was resilient. He had been imprisoned in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, smuggled out of Berea, laughed at in Athens, uh, um, uh, regarded as a fallen corn, stoned in Galatia. But boy, he stayed eager. He stayed resilient. Even willing to head into Rome. By the way, you can see all those. I have the verses for all those things that I just mentioned. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. You cannot be ashamed of this. Be resilient. Here's what Paul said. In verse 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Being defamed, we entreat, we are made as the filth of the world and are the offscore of all things unto this day. Even though he was putting up with all that, people looked at him as the filth of the world, he was unashamed of what he had because he saw the value in it. He knew they were perceiving it wrong. He saw the value, and he wasn't about to let their wicked viewpoint, their misguided viewpoint, viewpoint, their uneducated viewpoint, affect how he approached the gospel. He was resilient. And the fact is, just like the Apostle Paul put up, there is a reproach in following Christ. There is. We're doing our best to run away from that right now. You can't. If you're going to be faithful to the Word of God and to the gospel, there's a reproach that goes with it. Stay unashamed. Stay Resilient. Even though he put up with all that ridiculed, he remained faithful. But we don't see the value, we don't see the treasure in the gospel. So we're not willing to bear the reproach for Christ and we become ashamed. Just like churches today trying to uh, remove the reproach, trying to be seeker friendly. They're not seeker friendly, They're, they're, they're carnal seekers is all they are. They want to somehow incorporate the carnality that they love in in mixed in with the worship of God. That's a side note. I'm going to preach another sermon right there. I'll come back to that another time. Paul knew the truth of the gospel was supreme above all other teaching man needed. That's how he approached it. He was unashamed of it. He was resilient with it. Don't ever be ashamed of the gospel. It is the greatest truth and the greatest treasure the world needs. Will you be ridiculed? You will. Will you be outcast with it? You will. I remember me putting up with that in high school. But you never know who's watching when all that ridicule is going on. You know, Thursdays in the Bible study would hit. A kid you're not going down the hallway. I, I, I didn't mind it at all after a while. I didn't. I didn't mind it at all. The BYB's being shouted out every Thursday, because everybody knew that was the day I taught the class. Bring BYB for parties, if you remember, if, hopefully nobody here ever partied, was bring your own beer. But they did it on Thursdays to mock me, because it was bring your own Bible. It's Thursday, bring your own Bible day to school. 21 years later, 21 years later, I heard from a person from high school, never one time did we talk in 21 years. And I've mentioned this before, but I want you to see it, so you know I'm, I'm making this thing up. You guys ready up there? Go ahead and show it. This is the message I got 21, never heard from him one time in 21 years. This is the message I got from him. That was it. 21 years later, you were right. Saved at age 31. Thought you'd like to know. Sorry for being belligerent to you in high school. Will you forgive me? <clears throat> Do you want to know how excited I was when I read that? Be willing to take the ridicule. Be willing to look as, that, as the outcast if necessary. What you have is exactly what the world needs. Don't forget it and don't apologize for it. Stay resilient. You don't know who's watching. It really is amazing what shame can do to you. How it will control your life, especially when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Peter. Ask John Mark. I'm going to finish with a story of a guy who was incredibly resilient in church history. What he went through. And we'll close with this. I'm going, to, I'm going to read, I'm, I'm just going to read this. There was a great saint in the early church by the name of Basil. You can read about him. He was martyred in 363 A.D. He was martyred by a man that became known as Julian the Apostate. Julian had uh, restored into the Roman Empire heathen worship. You remember that Constantine, for the most part, had made Christianity the religion around 325. And when Julian came in, he brought back heathen worship. Basil, who was a great Christian, went to him one day and this is what the historian said uh, that he said to the emperor now here's a quote from that man he's speaking to the emperor by the way, thou renegade thou has, uh, thou hast left a throne prepared for thee in heaven. Not sure quite what he meant by that verily, I believe that Christ whom thou hast A will take thee and pluck thee out of thy dwelling, that thou mayest know how great is that God whom thou hast offended. Thou hast not thought of his judgments, nor venerated his altars. Thou hast not kept his laws, which thou didst declare often with thy lips. Wherefore, great emperor, Christ will not remember thee. Says the emperor was not used to being talked like that. He ordered him to prison and to be punished while he was in prison. Every day, this was his punishment, guards were to come and to razor off a portion of his skin every day, a long strip, for which they would they're going to take these different strips and make this leather I don't know exactly what it was here. They would cut it into long strips and, and they would tie the, the portions of his skin, <clears throat> making leather out of it. And so they were doing this every day to him. It went on for weeks. Every day the guards would come in, cut off a portion of his skin. Then finally one day he asked if he could speak to the emperor again. The request was granted because the guards felt that he was ready to deny his faith and affirm the place of the emperor. So now he stands before the emperor. On his way there he asked for one of the portions of his own skin, one of the leather straps they made from his back. They gave it to him. Now let me go back to reading. <clears throat> and so he was brought holding in his hand his own flesh, scarred all over his body, and this, the historians record, is what he said. He's before the emperor again. Dumb, deaf, and blind are, the, are thy idols, apostate. To me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he threw the thong of his flesh at Julian's feet. Then they carried him out, dropped him on a red-hot red bed of iron, spikes, and he died. Soon after that, Julian himself died. There are many records of his last words. He is said to have said this, Thou hast conquered me, O man of Galilee. That was a man who stayed resilient. Unashamed. We are living in a day as our nation changes drastically where we need to be resilient. Don't compromise the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. We are to follow what the book of Ephesians directs us to do and that is to speak the truth in love. That's what we're to do. Paul here, again, I think he gave us great keys in our approach to the gospel. The desire to see results, to see God work, the responsibility we have to be ready, eager, and to be resilient when it comes to it. With heads bowed and eyes closed.